Let me hear you. He is risen. Oh, come on now. Let me hear you. He is risen. Amen. I'm happy to be standing up here today for two reasons. Number one, because I get to talk about Jesus Christ from the Bible. And secondly, because I get to talk to you and I love you and I'm happy. I'm delighted. I'm pleased to be your pastor. We're going to be looking at one verse of scripture today. It is from the book of Hebrews. Let me explain why we're doing that. Um, this is a Bible. This Bible is divided into two main parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament has 39 books. The New Testament has 27 books. We have been studying one of those New Testament books. It's referred to as the book of Hebrews. Now, this book of Hebrews is broken down into 13 chapters, and we have been taking it apart word by word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're almost through. We're almost completed with it. We're, we're at the end. We are in chapter 13. I would ask that you would turn to Hebrews chapter 13, and let me explain what's going to happen. I'm going to talk for a very long time. I'm going to read a passage. It's one verse, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, then I'm going to explain that verse. I'm going to break it down into two points, and each point will have three sub-points, and then I'm going to give you six points of application, and then we're, we're going to, uh, then we're going to go home. But for right now, I would ask please that you would take your copy of the scripture, turn to Hebrews 13, stand and listen as I read verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Lord, we thank you that you have given us breath. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the ability to communicate verbally. Lord, we want to confess that often with the breath that we have been given by you and the words which we use, we do not glorify you. We do not let the fruit of our lips bring you praise, but rather, Lord, we say things that we should not say. And for this, Lord, we would ask in the name of Jesus Christ that we be forgiven. But Lord, we want to be different. We want to use the breath that you've given us. Lord, we want to use our mouths, our tongues, our words. Lord, we want to use them to bring glory to you. I pray, Lord, today that you would show us how to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The point of the Bible is Jesus. The point of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better than anything in Judaism. And the point of the last chapter of Hebrews is that we are to be doers of the word and that faith without works is dead. The one verse uh, that we are studying today has a context. The context is that they are called to go outside of the city. That is, figuratively speaking, outside the city of Jerusalem and go to Jesus who was crucified outside of the city and in so doing that we would bear his reproach. Now, this context leading into this verse today is somewhat ironic. And the reason that I say it is somewhat ironic is because they are asked to leave Judaism and to stay with Jesus Christ and to bear the reproach of Christ. But yet we read in the verse today that we're supposed to be offering up sacrifices, the sacrifice of praise. And it's really mysterious because when you consider the Jewish mindset, they did not know anything about sacrifice, which did not include a priest and an altar and the temple and a sacrifice, a literal animal sacrifice. Yet we are told in the previous verses to leave those things and to go outside of the camp to Jesus Christ, leave Judaism, but then he turns around and says, and you're supposed to offer a sacrifice. So it is somewhat ironic and it is a very artful use of words in keeping a Jewish motif, but the elements or the essence of it is Christian. Uh, with that context, here's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at this one verse, and the outline for today is point number one, what the verse does not mean. That's going to have three sub-points. And then point number two, what the verse does mean, that's going to have 
three subpoints, and then right in the middle of point number one and point number two, I'm going to take a commercial break, and I'm going to give you the Old Testament background for where this verse comes from. But let's just dive right in. Point number one, what the verse does not mean. Again, let me read it. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Three elements which need to be described or nuanced here, which might mean something different than what you think they mean. And let's just start off with the first two words. And the first two words are through him. Now, obviously the him is talking about Jesus. He is the him. But the phrase through him is not to be read in a 21st century cliche mindset. Uh, oftentimes you will hear people talking about how they live the Christian life or how they are sustained, and they will say, well, I do it through the Lord. It is through him. It is through Jesus' strength or his example or his guidance or his power. Uh, we'll even use the biblical phrase from Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, which says, I can do all things through, T-H-R-O-U-G-H, through Christ that strengthens me. And I just want to say that is not a bad way of speaking. Uh, that is a very appropriate way of speaking. That is correct. However, that is not what is being referred to here. In Hebrews 13, 15, there is the mindset of a priest who is serving as a mediator, and you are going through that mediator. Uh, let me see if I can um, illustrate it in this way uh, to give you the meaning of the word through. Let's just say that you want to get a union job, and you are granted that union job, and your friend comes up to you and says, so I hear you got a job in the union. Yes, I did. Well, how did you get it? And you start to say, well, I got it through hard work, and I got it through studying, and I got it through inspiration and encouragement from my friends, and I got it through the great example of my grandfather. That's how I got the job. I got it through those means. That is true. That is good. That is a way of using the word through. Here's another way of using the word. Hey, I hear you were trying to get a job in the union. Did you get the job? Yep, I got the job. How did you get the job? I got the job through my dad. How's that? My dad's the union boss. That's how I got the job. This text today is using that second description or definition of through. It is not Christ working in us and through us, enabling us to praise, but it is speaking about Christ as our mediator, as our high priest, the one who gives us access to God. He is our bridge. He is our go-between. He is the one that connects us to God. You see, the entire book of Hebrews is a book which is steeped in language and descriptions of the priesthood. And over and over and over again, they keep speaking about the priesthood in ways not which are derogatory, but which are inferior to the priesthood of Jesus Christ. It talks about the fact that when those priests minister, they have to stand. It talks about the fact that they are limited by their death. It talks about the sacrifices which they give, which have to be repeated over and over and over again. There is a deficiency to the priesthood of Levi of Aaron, but there is a superiority, and the book of Hebrews spells it out over and over and over again, of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. So take, for example, Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, speaking of the superiority of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And every priest stands, there's a deficiency in the Aaronic priesthood, every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But by contrast, here's a better priesthood. But when Jesus had offered for all time a single sacrifice, there's our word for the day, a single sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? He sat down because the work was perfectly completed. So when you read the word through him, don't think about him empowering you. Think about him serving as your mediator, the one who gets you to God. He is efficacious in his mediatorial priesthood. And let me just say on this Easter Sunday morning that it's really important that we understand that 
our access into the union is based upon the fact that our dad was the union boss. Uh, Our access to God is through the fact that we have a mediator, Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high, and he is doing an efficacious work. Efficacious means that it works. The microphone that I'm using right now is efficacious in that it's amplifying my voice. It works. The efficacious work of Christ is that he is our high priest right now. Well, implied in that is that he is alive. Implied in that is that there was a resurrection. Implied in that was the fact that there was a death and that God accepted the death of Jesus Christ as payment for our sins, raised him from the dead, took him up to heaven, seated him at his right hand, and right now it is through him that we are able to offer sacrifices. It is through his priestly work. The second item that I want you to notice, which needs a little bit of clarification as to what the verse does not mean, and this is where you're really going to need to put on your thinking cap, is that this verse is not primarily talking about the fruit of our lips being songs that we sing in church of praise to the Lord. My entire life, I thought that's what the passage meant until I studied it. I mean, and you can, you can see clearly why one would think that. Through him, then let us offer up continually, uh, uh, continually offer a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You would think that that's referring to our singing and our testifying here in church. Let me just say that there's nothing wrong with us singing in church and testifying in church. I am not opposed to that. In fact, that is something that we should do. That is something that we must do. That is something that you do very well. But that is not what this passage is talking about at all. The literal rendering of the Greek text is speaking about the confessing of his name to an unsaved world. Uh, anytime you see the word name, Uh, It is not referring to like J-E-S-U-S. His name is Jesus or Christ or or Lord or God. Name isn't a title. In fact, here's the irony. Name is not a name. Name is referring to the totality of all that our triune God is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit in his person, in his perfections, in his work, the working of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is is the name that we are acknowledging. And so you remember back in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, that the disciples were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, that is for the person and work of Jesus Christ and all that he does. Uh, got a little bit ahead of myself there. Let me come back to the point that I am making, which is is, is what the text is not saying. The text is not saying that this is something which is primarily done in the church, but the acknowledging of his name in Greek literally means the confessing of his name. The confessing of his name. William Barclay, who wrote a translation of the New Testament, put it this way, which publicly affirm him in faith or publicly affirm their faith in him. Uh, The reason that I think that that is the accurate rendering is not only because that word acknowledging is actually the word for confessing, but the other reason why I think that this is primarily talking about evangelism and not about singing praise in church is because of the context. What did the previous verses say? The previous verses said, you are to leave Jerusalem and to go outside the city and to bear the reproach of him, that is speaking about identifying yourself to the world and owning Jesus publicly. Now, does it make any sense in the next verse that he would talk about how we need to praise God in our worship services? No, not at all. What would make sense is how we need to go then and acknowledge the name. And so what this is primarily talking about is evangelism and a public profession of faith rather than one that is done in the church. Let me just say this again. There is nothing wrong with praising Jesus Christ in the church. It's just not what this verse is talking about. The other feature that I want to clarify from verse 15, which speaks to... Uh, 
perhaps what the verse is not talking about, and this is the most important one that you need to pay attention to, and that is that the word sacrifice does not imply that we in any way are meriting or earning any favor from God by what we give up or what we sacrifice. Again, hear the verse. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The only sacrifice which makes us right with God is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Again, I direct you to Hebrews chapter 10, this time to verses 10, uh, 12 and 14. In verse 12, it says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, there's our word for the day, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Skip down to verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So the only sacrifice that God accepts to make us right in his sight is the death of Jesus Christ. During the exhortation today, I made it clear to you that I was going to be using words like being made right with God and having our sins forgiven and being saved and being born again. You're sitting there today and you're saying, I kind of know what you're talking about, but I really don't know how that works. I would like you to come up to me after the service and say, could you please explain to me what it means to be saved? I would love to take time to do that with you. If not today, we could make an appointment, get together, and I could share the gospel with you. But that comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When you read the word sacrifice here in this text, it is not talking about a sacrifice that we make in order to be made right with God. We perform sacrifices because we love the Lord out of gratitude to him, not in order to be made right in his sight. Let me illustrate it. Tomorrow morning, you're going to go to work. Now, let's just say for the sake of argument, you like your job, you like the people that you work with, uh, you have a good work environment, you feel fulfilled in your job, and let's just say you're good at your job. But let's be honest, the reason why you are there is because they are paying you. Let's just say the boss comes in tomorrow and says, are you happy with your work conditions? Yes, very happy. Do you like the people you work with? Oh, they're delightful. Well, what about what you're doing? Do you like the tasks that you've been assigned to do? Yes, I do. I enjoy my job very much. Why are you asking? Well, for this reason, um, I'm glad to hear you like your job. Uh, we're going to stop paying you. You will leave immediately because the reason why you are there is to get paid. You are working so as to get paid. It is 100% merit-based. On the other hand, let's consider a mother, a mother who is cooking a meal for her children. Is she doing it so as to be loved? Is she doing it to earn favor? Is she doing it so that she can become the mother of that family? No, she's doing it out of love. You see, we make sacrifices for Jesus Christ, specifically the fruit of our lips, which is praise. We do it not so that we can go to heaven, but we do it because we are already going to heaven. We do it not to have our sins washed away, but we do it because our sins have already been washed away. We do it not to gain his favor, but we do it out of gratitude. And so when you read the word sacrifice, please understand that it is referring to sacrifices which we make, which are not meritorious, but sacrifices which we make in gratitude for the great things that God has done. So that's the first half of the sermon. There you have it. Three things that the text does not mean. Did you get them? First of all, through him doesn't mean he's empowering us. Through him means that he's our great high priest. Secondly, acknowledging his name means doing it publicly and not so much doing it at church. And number three, sacrifices are offered in love or in gratitude to the Lord. Now, as promised, we're going to pause and I'm going to give you a commercial break, and that is to give you the Old Testament backing as to where this verse came from. And then we're going to get on to what the verse actually does mean. 
The Old Testament backing for Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, comes from two sources, two different books. One of them is the book of Hosea. The other one is Psalm 50. In Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, we read these words in the NIV, and I love this rendering. Bible says, Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you. So as you're going back to God, you need to be saying something to him. Take words with you and return to the Lord. What are we supposed to say to him when we return to him? Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously. Why? Why? What will the result of that be? Here's where the word or the concept of fruit of lips comes from. That, or so that we may offer the fruit of our lips. That's the origination of that phrase that we see in Hebrews chapter 13. There's another place in the Old Testament where this concept uh, is clearly spelled out, and that is in Psalm 50. In Psalm 50, uh, there is this, verse 23, there is this description. The Lord says, the one who offers thanksgiving as a as his sacrifice, let's just pause right there. Are you seeing it? He's not offering an animal. He, he, he's offering thanksgiving. The fruit of his lips is thanks to the Lord. What is your thank? What is your offering? My offering is my thanksgiving. The Lord says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Uh, to the one who orders his way rightly. I will show the salvation of God. God is saying, I am very pleased with a sacrifice in the form of thanksgiving. Earlier in that chapter, in Psalm 50, verse 14, it says, offered to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. This is really unusual language because every sacrifice in the Old Testament was an animal sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And God is saying, no, you know, I, I really will accept an offering which comes in the form of thanksgiving. So even in the Old Testament, God is concerned with the heart. So that is the Old Testament background. Now, as promised, here's Roman numeral 2, and this is what the verse does mean, and I would like you to see three aspects of this verse, verse or three features of this verse which describe what the passage does mean. And the first thing that I would like to draw your attention to is that this praise or the sacrifice, the fruit of our lips, is to be done continually. Uh, look at the verse again, Hebrews 13, 15. Don't lose that word continually. Therefore, let us, um, sorry, um, verse 15. Um, Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Let's just say that you are an Old Testament Jew and you have a heart disposition toward praising the Lord and making an offering to him or making a sacrifice to him. There was absolutely no opportunity for spontaneity. There was a prescription as to how it was to be done and it was extremely convoluted and long. I am not criticizing it when I say that it was convoluted. I am not in any way downplaying it because the word of the Lord is perfect. I'm just saying that the Old Testament Jews, when it came time to offering up thanksgiving to the Lord, had to be very engaged for a very long time with a lot of details. Uh, let me draw your attention to Leviticus chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 11 through 14, I, I, and I have to confess I did not remember these verses going into this week. This is a, this is, although I've read these verses before, I wasn't really familiar with the content of them. I just want you to listen to how involved you had to be in order to make a simple peace offering or a thank offering. And this is the law of sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. 
If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves with fine flour and well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of the peace offering for the thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with the loaves of the unleavened bread. And from it, he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings. I am not reading this in a derogatory way. I am reading it so that you will see how involved it was for these people to do this. Now we're in the new covenant, and the writer of Hebrews says to these Christians, I want you to offer a sacrifice, but it's not going to involve baking any cakes or offering any animals or finding a priest or going to the altar or going to the temple. It is to be done continually. It can be done at any times, any time. And the way that it is done is through our words and through our lips. I mean, for those Old Testament Jews, there could be no spontaneity. And even if you did have a heart of love for the Lord and thanksgiving, by the time you baked all those cakes and found the animal and went and found the priest, by the time you get to it, so many details have gone into it. You might have even forgotten that you were wanting to thank the Lord or to have a peace offering to the Lord. It was so involved. But now the liberty that we have in Christ is to offer it anytime at all. We have complete access to give praise to the Lord with the fruit of our lips to Jesus Christ at any time. The second thing that I want you to notice concerning this verse as to what it does mean. And it's speaking here about praise, which is, which is in the form of fruit. I want you to notice the metaphor, and that is fruit. And that is, fruit is what can be observed. The person who says, well, I'm just praising the Lord in my heart, I don't think you can find a scriptural justification for praise being only in your heart. There has to be fruit that comes from the root. Fruit is what can be seen and observed, and all fruit comes from the root. You see apples hanging on a branch, you know that that's coming from an apple tree. The fruit of praise tells you that the person has a thankful heart and that they love the Lord. And what proceeds through the lips of one who has a thankful heart is praise. But it has to originate in the heart. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And then in the next verse, he says, out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. All that to say that a genuine heart of love and thanksgiving has to precede the words of praise. But if the heart is engaged in loving the Lord, what will proceed is fruit in the form of praise. Or to put it another way, you can't stop a healthy apple tree from growing apples, and you cannot stop a healthy Christian from continually giving praise. And now the third and final item concerning what the text actually does mean, and that is that the sacrifice which we render is to be verbal. This is clearly talking about our words and our songs. Now, this is not to say that we don't offer other types of sacrifices, our labor, our prayers, our money, our service. Those are sacrifices which we render. But it is to say that God wants to hear what we have to say. But praise is an act of speaking and singing, which is verbal. It is articulating words of love and adoration for God and to God. It is speaking to him, it is singing to him, it is speaking about him, it is singing about him. It's the breath that God has given us to praise the Lord, using it to utter things about him which are true and good. Several years ago, I was at a football game with my wife. It was the Georgia-Florida football game in Jacksonville, Florida, 
we somehow got tickets in the student section, and as we were sitting there, uh, it was not uncommon to see students that were drunk. It's not uncommon to see students that are uh, cursing and and uh, being vulgar. But we happened to be sitting in front of that guy, and you know who that guy is. You've you've all met that guy. Anytime a play would happen where Georgia was not doing well, this man would express himself not only in vulgarity, but also in taking God's name in vain. Uh, my wife, who was a little bit north of 50 years old at the time, turned around to this college student, and she grabbed him by the back of the neck, and she, she pulled him forward, and she said, you listen to me, that breath that you're using to curse God has been given to you by God and I don't want to hear it anymore. Never been so proud of a woman in all my life. But she's right. She's right. The fact that we are able to speak is a gift from God, and what comes out of our mouth ought to be to the praise and the glory of God. We ought to be praising him for his glorious perfections and virtues. We ought to be thanking him for what he has done in creation. When you see something in creation that is beautiful, don't just look at it, but say something. The title of my sermon is, Let Me Hear You. Say something. If you see God working in providence or in history, say something, acknowledge it in your own life or in your own family. Somebody gets healed or or someone... Um, gets a benefit in life, which even though it is temporal, it is still a good gift from God because every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. Acknowledge what God has done in your family. Acknowledge what God has done in our church. And especially with reference to your sin and your salvation from your sin. The Bible says in in Psalm 107, verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say, S-A-Y, say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. And wow, were we ever in trouble. We had been separated from our God because of our sins. We were on our way to hell. Ephesians 2, 3 says that we were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath doesn't mean that you got angry. Children of wrath means that God was angry with you. We were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But what happened? God happened. But God, who is rich in mercy, saved us and redeemed us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And now, in light of that, we are supposed to say so. This is a verbal Exercise. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. All right. Did you get all of that? Three points that the text does accentuate. Number one, it is to be continual. We can do it at any time. Point number two, this praise is the product of a thankful heart. It is fruit that comes from a heart of gratitude. And number three, praise is verbal. Let me now give you six points of application from this one verse. Point number one, meditate, contemplate, think, consider, ask yourself, what is the purpose for which I have been given a mouth? Why do I have a tongue? Why do I have breath? What is the purpose of this? Is it not to sing and praise and thank and testify to the goodness and to glorify God? To say something. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. We say, well, some people misuse their mouths. That's true. There are people who lie, there are people who curse, there are people who are disingenuous who are disingenuous and they are hypocritical with their words. But just because other people misuse words is no valid reason for us to be silent about our love for the Lord. I mean there are people who abuse food. You don't stop eating. There are people who look at bad pictures you don't stop seeing. 
Use your words. Remember Jesus went over to the region of the Gadardines to rescue a demoniac who was living in the graveyard. This man was so wild and uncontrollable, they tried to chain him, but they couldn't constrain the man. And, and remember what happens. The demons are cast out of this man. The, the, the demons go into the swine. The swine commits suicide. The man goes away, and he comes back, and he's clothed in his right mind, and he wants to do what every saved Christian wants to do, and that is to be near Jesus and to go with Jesus. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I want to be with you. And you remember what Jesus said to this guy? Mark chapter 5, verse 19. Go home to your friends and tell. T-E-L-L. That is a speaking word. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Say something. You say, well, I'm a quiet person. Well, it's okay for you to be a quiet person, except when it comes to this. You say, well, that's the way I am. Well, here's your point of application. Stop being the way you are and be different. Say something. This is a command of the Lord, and it is a delight. We are commanded to speak up. Application point number two. This is the most practical one that you can put to use probably this afternoon or tomorrow morning, and that is develop the habit of verbally attributing good that you see in the world and in your life to the Lord. Get in the habit, when something good happens, to giving God the glory. As I said earlier, this passage is leaning more in the direction of public evangelism than it is singing to the Lord. That is, acknowledging the name uh, means confessing his name publicly. I think you need to get in the habit of doing this. Now, there's this guy on TV, um, and Depending on whether or not you like Minnesota accents, it's, it's, it's either really sweet or it's really annoying. But he's the, he's the my pillow guy, okay? This really thick Minnesota accent. And I would actually buy a pillow from him if he would advertise less. But I would give him money to, to be on less. He's on quite literally every seven minutes. And the commercials are really long. Be that as it may, if you watch the commercials, of Mike Lindell, my pillow. In the background, there is a painting of Jesus Christ wearing a crown of thorns and a lion, eschatological, the lion and the lamb. And at the end of every one of his commercials, he says, and may God bless you. I don't know if the man's born again. I would think that he is based upon um, how outspoken he is. But, but whether or not he is, here's one thing that you cannot deny. He is out there in terms of being unashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ and acknowledging good to him. Well, isn't it a beautiful day? Yes, it is, thank God. Well, how do you feel today? Can't complain. I feel pretty good, thank God. You know, I noticed that you're, you're a pretty nice person. Let me tell you. I am the way that I am. By the grace of God, I am so thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ in my life. Well, wasn't that lunch good today? Yes. Isn't it amazing how God feeds us and takes care of us? You know, when I was in college, I was on the football team. I would not say that I was a football player. I was on the football team. And, and I was what they call a walk-on. A walk-on is, is, is the ultimate in stupidity and abuse. You play, but you pay them so that you can play. Like, they're not giving you any scholarship money. You're paying for your own tuition, and you're playing. And so here I am. I am a walk-on at the University of Georgia. I'm getting my brains beat in. I have completely run out of money. I am ready to drop out of school. I desperately need a scholarship in order to finish my education. And in one of the strangest, most unusual, uh, I, I wouldn't call it a miracle, but it was exceptionally strange, I was offered a scholarship to finish out my last two years of school. And when I got it, this deep conviction came over me, and that is that 
I felt as though, and rightfully so, every time I spoke about it, I needed to say, thank God I got a scholarship. So you're not a walk-on anymore. No, I got a scholarship. Not I earned a scholarship because I was that good. There is film evidence to prove I was not that good. It's not that I was that good. It was the grace of God. And I always felt compelled, and I'm glad that I did, whenever I spoke about my scholarship to say, thank God that I got that. You have so many blessings that come your way all the time. There are so many beautiful things in the world. There is so much good going on. Get in the habit of acknowledging that God is the source of that good. That is the fruit of your lips, which is praise. Application point number three. Praise God vigorously at church. Pastor, you just said that this passage has nothing to do with praising God at church. I did say that. You're right. But when you get to be as old as I can, I am, you, you are allowed to contradict yourself. Um, here's my reason for including this as one of the application points. If you are not able to boldly sing praise to God and expressively give glory to him in the midst of the congregation, what makes you think that tomorrow morning you're going to magically walk into work and all of a sudden be bold enough to be a witness for him? Now, I'm not saying that our worship service is a rehearsal or a training or a practice for tomorrow morning. But I will say that this word continually means that we are to be doing it outside of the church and inside the church. And I will say this as well. One of the ways that you can be evangelistic is simply by coming to church and singing with a lot of volume while you're at church. Visitors walk in. Imagine the first time you ever walked in. You're looking around at everything that's happening. Where did they get these lights? Why are those speakers so big? What's up with the guy up front with the tie? Like, what, what is going on here? There are a lot of things that are vying for a person's attention when they first walk into a new church. If when the song leader says, please stand now and join me in singing, and all of a sudden there is this thunderous expression of love, which is genuine and vigorous coming from the mouths of the people that are standing around, you yourself may not be a believer, but you will look around at the others and say, there is something very genuine and unusual which is happening here. And so by your participation in this, it is evangelistic, but we're not doing it primarily for evangelistic purposes. Let me just say, this is a point in which I have no grounds whatsoever to beat you up. You are a great singing church. Now, I don't know about you people sitting in the back back there. Hello, good to see you. Generally, the people in the back, you're still awake, good. I love you. I, I can see more or less. That's where you always sit. Are you good singers? I don't know. And even people up to like the second half of the main part of the worship center. Do you people sing loudly? I don't know. But I do know that collectively you generate a lot of love for the Lord. Here's what I can tell you for certain. I can tell you that Ben DeJoya, who usually sits right behind me, is a loud singer. And I can tell you that the Bernaset kids are really loud singers. And, and it is glorious to listen to them sing out of the mouths of babes. I'm saying this to say this, generating this kind of enthusiasm in the corporate worship service is is a way of expressing love for the Lord. It is a way of evangelizing. It is a way of edifying your brothers and sisters. And if we are to be doing this continually, we are to be doing it here, which brings us to point number four. And this is where I will come down on you a little bit. And that is, if there is no fruit, probably is a problem with the root. The fruit of our lips. If that which exits our mouths is not 
to the praise of the glory of his grace, there probably is a problem with the heart. person that can never give a word of testimony when asked, tell me what the Lord is doing in your life, either isn't paying attention or there's nothing going on in their life. Uh, 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 the person who finds it hard to sing to the Lord, who is silent in the congregation, probably is going to be silent at work and at school. And you see, the problem with this individual is not their speech. Uh, Let's go back to the singing at church thing. The way to get people to sing well at church is not to have better instruments or for the pastor to get up and to admonish the people to sing loudly The way to do it is to extol the virtues of the glory of Jesus Christ. And if that is in the heart, that is the root, then the fruit will be from their lips praise to the Lord. And so in the same way, when I say to you, if you are not speaking about Jesus Christ or giving testimony to him, if the fruit of your lips, like if we were to like press the record button and just replay everything that was said over the last week, over the last 168 hours, if there was no intentional, genuine praise and glory from your lips to Jesus Christ, the problem is not with your speech. The problem is with your heart. And so let me take you back to your heart. You need to get alone by yourself in a quiet, uninterrupted place. And you need to meditate. And you need to meditate upon the gospel. You need to think about your sin. And not just for a few minutes, but you need to think about where he brought you from, what you used to be into, how deep you were in the slime. And you need to think about how he brought you out, rescued you, You need to think about your regeneration. You need to think about the joy of the early days of your salvation. You need to think about the objective facts that Jesus paid it all and that he died for you. You need to think about the glories of Calvary. You need to meditate upon the gospel. And and this, I believe, if you really are saved, will cause your heart to swell. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, this will then result in words which are praising the Lord. But if after meditating upon the gospel, you say, yeah, I, like, okay, like, I know all of these things are true, but it, it's just not touching me. It certainly doesn't motivate me to say anything. It's just, yeah, those are historic facts about a man who died and he came back to life. And I believe he came back to life, but, but this is like, there's nothing going on in my heart. So there's nothing coming out of my mouth. I would say you've got a really bad root problem. And your root problem might be that the roots are dead. And and you don't need to be told to sing louder or to speak up more. You need to be told to repent and believe the gospel. You see, the problem might be that you are not saved. You're never speaking about Jesus. I don't mathematically know if I can work it out to find a verse in the Bible which says that you are saved. The problem might be that you are not saved. And it's a good thing that you came today to hear this because if you never hear of your lost condition, you will never seek for a savior. And I ask, does the fruit of your lips reflect a healthy root in your heart? Application point number five. It's amazing what praising can do. This is a chorus from the 1980s. I've tried really hard to hate this chorus because it is ultra cheesy. Does anybody remember this chorus? It's amazing what praising can do. It is so hokey. I don't want to like it, but I can't help but like it because it is so true that when we praise, there is something which happens in our hearts which bring joy. How about this one? Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Anybody remember that song? Put on the garment of praise for spirit of heaviness. 
Once again, kind of hokey, but not nearly as hokey as the last song. But nevertheless, I like the words because the words are Scripture. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3. But the reality of those songs, regardless of how cheesy the melody may be, is this. When we verbally acknowledge the greatness of God, there is something that happens in our hearts which takes away the spirit of heaviness. Are you down? Are you gloomy? Praise Jesus Christ, and that will be lifted. Now, I said earlier today that if you are not saved, you'd like to know what it means to be saved, you're visiting with us, you'd like to have an explanation of the gospel, I would like to share the gospel with you. You know, I say that in part because I want to hear the gospel again myself. And every time that I share the gospel, what happens is my heart gets larger because not only am I speaking the gospel, but I am listening to the gospel and I'm being reminded of these facts. Oh man, we are sinners. We were running in the opposite direction. He loved us. He came after us. He bore the wrath of God for us. He rose again. He is alive. He he, he regenerates. All of these wonderful gospel truths, when I share the gospel, I'm listening to them. And so I would just say it is amazing what praising can do. Use your voices, use your words to praise God to lift the heaviness from your heart. And then finally, application point number six Believe. Believe and be saved. Let's go back to the first two words of verse 15. Through him. That is, through Jesus, our great high priest, our mediator, our access to God, the one who died for our sins. Today, if you want to be saved, you're going to have to go through him. You're going to need a dad who's the union boss who's going to get you that job. You need to go to the one who is seated at the Father's right hand. You need to go to him and believe him. You need to believe what he says about you, that you're evil. You really are. I mean, some of you know that you're evil. Some of you don't know, but you really are. And Jesus said that you were. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You need to know that he loves you. You've heard your whole life that Jesus loves you, but do you know how much he loves you? Oh, you need to know that. You need to believe that he died for you. The Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. And and you need to know that the reason why you would love him is because he first loved you. In just a few minutes, we're going to sing, Oh, How I Love Jesus because I have worked so hard for him. No, oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. And you need to believe that he's alive today and that he rose again. Happy Resurrection Day. He is risen. He is risen Ah, come on, let me hear you. He is risen. He is risen Amen, that's good, that's good. Let me hear you. Believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. Father in heaven today, Thank you for allowing us to be people who can speak and sing. That's a kind gift from your hand. I I pray that we would never take that for granted. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to use these words and these songs uh, to bring you praise, and the fruit of our lips would, in and out of church, acknowledge you. And Lord, we acknowledge that all of that will happen, this sacrifice of praise will happen through him, that is, through our mediator, our king, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.